Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR, talent, and leadership communities to you. For more episodes and the latest articles covering what's new in the world of work, visit hrgazette.com, subscribe and follow us on social media. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum, and in this episode, we're going to discuss ways to unlock the mental fitness potential of employees and what it means to create a psychologically safe work environment. My returning guest this time is Dr. Bill Howitt, founder and CEO of Howitt HR. Bill refers to himself as a behavioral scientist with a keen curiosity for how employees and employers can work together to reduce mental harm and promote mental health in the workplace. He is known internationally and is one of Canada's top experts in workplace psychological health and safety. Dr. Bill is on the CSA OHS Standards Steering Committee and chair of the CSA Standard Z1008, Management of Substance-Related Impairment in the Workplace. He is also the co-creator of the Psychologically Safe Workplace Awards. Bill, it's my pleasure to welcome you back to the HR Chat Show today. Thank you very much, Bill. I'm excited to be back. It's been a long time. This thing that's gone by us the last couple of years has been an interesting time for us all. It certainly has. When you and I last spoke, it was near the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, yeah. It seems like a, a heck of a long time ago now. Uh, yeah, and, and we kept thinking we we're coming through it, and then there was another wave and another wave. But hopefully this time, fingers crossed, uh, we we are in many countries in in the world uh, through the worst of it, and we are in that endemic stage. So you help workers and leaders unlock their mental fitness potential, Bill. Um, I'd like you now to to tell me a bit about how you do that. But I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to make it a little sure, bit different. Sure, please a, a do. Bit. So uh, we're going to get into the, the the meat of the conversation later on. But um, um, the challenge is is to give us a bit of an overview and do so in sixty seconds or less. Yeah, sure. So the algorithm for physical health is exercise, diet, rest, lifestyle choices. We know that those are the levers we pull to help a person develop physical health. Unlocking mental fitness is we ask the average person, what's the algorithm for mental health? It's actually the environment. It's their social connections. It's their physical health. And it's their pro-social behaviors. It's their help-seeking behaviors and managing at-risk. So real quickly, you can't unlock it before you actually educate someone on what the algorithm is to mental health. And then the second step is what responsibility does the employee have and what responsibility does the employer have to work together to help employees spend more time in pleasant emotions and move towards flourishing. So it's you need to have you have to understand what it is before you can actually help them unlock it. We'll be right back to this conversation after this very brief message from today's sponsoring partner. The Jovio platform enables businesses to buy, manage, and track recruitment media. This includes job sites, social, and search marketplaces to attract and hire the most relevant applicants on time and within their budget. Powering more than 20 million jobs every day, our data-driven recruitment advertising platform uses advanced data science and machine learning to dynamically manage and optimize talent sourcing and applications across all online channels, 
while providing real-time insights at every step of the job seeker journey. Learn more at jovio.com. Amazing. I reckon that was about 50 seconds, Bill. Good work. Good work. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I, I now want to talk to you a little bit about uh, some of the, the effects on on the mental well-being of, of employees over the last couple of years due to the due to the pandemic and and um, the offshoots of the pandemic such as remote working bill I'd, I'd love for you to to sort of share some of the effects that you've seen on, on employees some of the the, the the mental health issues that employees have been going through over the last couple of years perhaps they've seen it in other people perhaps it's it's fatigue it's anxiety generally around the context of, of the pandemic um where, where are we at right now uh, in in terms of the the um the mental well-being of, of folks as they're returning to the office in in q2 of, of 2022 yeah it's a big question it, it's it's actually hit home for a lot of people so a couple things just to big question is the following is what kind of impact did the pandemic have on the average worker globally the world health organization has said the following anxiety's up depression's up death by suicide's up uh, in canada i've led research with uh the Mental Health Commission of Canada was involved. I was part of that with uh, CPA on, on what people are, how they're receiving uh, treatment and what type of supports were they working. I led a study with CSA, same thing about what kind of supports people are having. And the same thing as being on a, with the Mental Health Research Canada on providing some advisory with them. And, and what we're finding is anxiety, depression, everything I'm saying has gone up. So what happened, what's basically happened is that Folks are becoming cognitively exhausted. But if we really step back and say, what the heck's really been going on? People that have been in basically fight or flight, many people for the last couple of years, driving on adrenaline, I have to take care of my kids. I need to make an adjustment. So, so we've been going from crisis to crisis. And I live in Ottawa, for example, Bill. We think we're just coming out of the pandemic. We're starting to go through that. And all of a sudden we have a trucker crisis for three weeks and things are shut down in Ottawa. The day the trucker crisis starts, shuts down, then a war starts in Ukraine. And now we're into recessions and it's one thing to the next. So ultimately what I think is really happening is that the way to net this down is we are in an unprecedented time of uncertainty. And when you have uncertainty, with a high need for interdependency where we need each other for supports and you have the people are working remotely where those casual connections and relationships and stress and strain, we're at an interesting time. Um, and what's really important for us to keep our heads on this for HR professionals, every piece of literature that talks around disaster management is once people on the other side in recovery, there's a fallout. So when soldiers come back from war, then there's a fallout. So as we start to move to the other side of this, there's going to be some fallout. There's going to be, we talk about what used to call the fourth wave of mental health, but it's hard for people to understand what, what wave we're talking about when you're like in Ontario. Now they're telling us we're in our sixth wave of COVID. So ultimately, there's an exhaustion and a fatigue. But I will also say to you on the positive, it's a society we're much more resilient now than we may be aware of, because we look back two years ago, the anxiety and worry and fear about COVID were 
you know, because we didn't know what it is. Now people are starting to you know, simulate it. People are starting to process it. But no question, there is some trauma. There is anxiety. And with the pending financial uncertainty in the global economy right now, financial health will be, will, may become the next big driver of stress for a lot of employees and a lot of employers trying to maintain the, a stable workforce with the increase in disability claims of short-term, long-term, and WCB related to psychological. We're in an interesting time where mental health now is going to become hopefully not a conversation about just what happens, as I said earlier, when something happens, is actually understand there's a real proactive opportunity to help employees not, because we're not going to get rid of all the stress bill, how they can actually avoid spending more unnecessary time on unpleasant emotions engaged in maladaptive coping, like, like for example, death by alcohol, Consumption and, and and substance use addictions has increased, and so we just if we can help that, pay attention to that, and help employees learn how to move from that dysregulation into regulation to be able to deal a little bit better with stress. That's going to be critical, and 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 I'm I'm speaking through a lens of someone who saw patients for over thirty years. Like I, we're in an interesting time right now. It it there's not going to be a uh, uh, there's no special pill for this. There's not a quick fix. We've been talking about physical health for a hundred years. Obesity, type two diabetes continues to rise. We have to get our head screwed on that when we start talking about the conversation of mental health, a bunch of random programs. Well, though good, uh, information doesn't create transformation or new habits. So this is going to take some time. And so I would say to you, the remote work impact and workers, many of them will say they like it, but the World uh, Economic Forum had a report recently that up to 50% of workers working remotely are experiencing isolation now. With all that said, it's a, it's, it's a challenging time, Bill. It, yeah, it is a challenging time. I was chatting somebody the other day and they said, Bill, the 2020s, they suck. They're the worst. And I said, yes, they are. They are the worst. Um, for, for me, I, you know, I, I got terribly optimistic in sort of February 2022 that this Omicron variant was going to mean the end of uh, uh, the, the stressful context that we'd all been living through for the last couple of years yeah. uh, as, as we've gone to the endemic stages. I mean, when it when it first broke in, in South Africa, I was like, oh, gee, something that they're saying is maybe up to 70 times more contagious. What's this going to mean for us all? And actually, listeners, it's, it's more like the end of the Spanish flu, uh, something which became terribly contagious but wasn't super deadly. And then, of course, um, I, like like you, Bill, like like so many of our listeners out there, um, every day I, I can't stop thinking about the, the, the awful tragedy that's happening in the Ukraine right now. Yeah, um, you know, we, we're both watching it on our on our televisions every day, listening to it on the radio, and it just it brings you down psychologically. It makes you so sad, um, and and you want to do more. Um, it's 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 difficult times, and that's why it's so important to talk. But I'm not the expert; you are, so I I, <laughs> I should turn it back over to you. Um, I I do want to continue talking about uh, sure. creating a, a psychologically safe workplace with you, and, and you you know you you mentioned a bit about um, the the aspect of remote working just a moment ago. 
just to continue that conversation for a moment, Bill, mm. how, how, how does remote working complicate efforts to create a psychologically safe workplace, you know, virtual workplace, if you like? What, what are those barriers to entry um, for, for, for a leader, for an HR person trying to trying to help and support their employees if they're not in the same place? Yeah, there's a lot of different challenges. And a couple of the ones we're really noticing is, is that how do you facilitate flexibility? How do you facilitate allowing people? So if you think about remote workers and I'm a leader, I might have 50% could be working remotely, 50% could be working a hybrid or, you know, and coming and going. And so leaders actually knowing where all their workforce is all the time might sound like an easy concept but it may not be figuring out where they're at as well if we create creating flex time because so people can work around responsibilities at home, which we're starting to realize that work doesn't always have to happen between nine and five. So flexible time. And then how do we have interactions and how do we build relationships and how do we create culture and how do we help keep people feeling they have social connections and that they're aware of what the work they're doing is being valued. Their their responsibilities that their own is aligned to their purpose, as well as how do we actually help to ensure everyone's sense of belonging? So with all that said and done, I, I think the biggest one, if we can kind of step back and say, okay, what does a psychological safe workplace mean? It means a place where people feel welcome, included, safe to speak up, drive fear out and we want to remove silence so you know the kind of like the challenge that a wells fargo or a volkswagen had during the day when they had lots of management challenges and stress that suppressed perhaps people from speaking up that could have pointed out some of the challenges that resulted in you know some, some quite remarkable you know public unpacking of laundry if you will my sense is is that it's hard in this medium to, to have those informal interactions where if you're in an office space, you on the way to your the restroom or on the way to lunch, spontaneity can happen. And, and then the challenge is, is that leaders, if they're not really mindful, if we have that kind of likeness factor, if there's workers that are around us all the time, we might be more prone to because they're there convenient to give them more opportunity than the worker who's working remotely so how do we make sure we're not you know some implicit bias or we're without intentionally prejudicing people so it's it comes down to a following thing i read something in the harvard review the other day that really is highlighted to me with all the automation where technology is going leaders roles are going to be moving quickly with this diverse inclusive workforce that developing empathy and understanding how to build really trust and secure relationships with their workforce will become their job one of the most important jobs they have versus just focusing on results and delivery because a lot of the a lot of the tasks are going to be automated, and so ultimately it's going to come down to this, Bill. We do know human beings are social creatures. We're in another sociological experiment. Everyone thought cell phones and the internet was a great idea at the time, but 
on every side of a bright light, there are challenges. And we know all the social media challenges and stuff. Having workers work remote, there's a bright light around flexibility and autonomy and that. But the challenge is going to be isolation, loneliness, mental health issues, and managing culture. And so that's really going to be important for leaders not to be not to just assume that workers are going to be able to self-advocate. So the role of checking in, building relationships, and not assuming no news means everyone's okay. It's going to be, I think, going to be the next big skill the leaders are going to need to do. They need to really become intentional on building meaningful relationships. Not saying they don't do that now, but it's going to be, it takes more work when you're doing it through remotely because it requires much more intention and scheduling and planning. Though you can spot an you can call an employee randomly. But I think, sadly, we're becoming the world of, can I schedule time to talk to you? Versus where I'm in the office, I could just interrupt you or talk to you. We don't think the same in a digital platform or behave the same as we do in, in, in real person, if that makes sense to you. Absolutely. I just think it's terribly interesting that these days people are uncomfortable um, receiving phone calls, for example. You know, a phone used to be something that um, received phone calls. Now, if, if I get a phone call from someone randomly, not not scheduled to your point a second ago, uh, I'm like, oh, well, what's that about? You know, that's a bit intrusive. I, I don't know when that happened, Bill. I don't know when my mentality changed. Um, I, I don't think I'm the only one out there who uh, who's like that either. You're, you're, you're not. I have a 22-year-old that texts me and say, Dad, can I call you? And I go, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Really? So, I mean, that's, you know, we're in a, we're in an interesting time, but you're right. There's some, it's a big sociological experiment. We are, I don't want to say, but without realizing it, all these technology changes and all the way we can pivot and adjust there, there's, there's always, I believe there's a bright light and there's some unintended consequences. And that's really what I'm coaching a lot of leaders right now is to pay attention to not where we are, but where could we go and what are we going to do to put protective factors in to help support and ensure our workforce stays as healthy and safe as we can, because we now know mental health is real. It's not something that it's no longer about suck it up buttercup. We've passed that phrase. I think we're starting to actually accept human beings have limit. And mental health is a part of physical health. The same thing is we have it. And it doesn't, it's not a character thing. It's a capacity thing. We all as human beings have a finite capacity. My fear though, Bill, mm-hmm. yeah, given the conversations that I, I've had on this show, and yeah, gosh, you know, I've, I've done hundreds of these episodes now. My, my fear is right now we're, we're living through this great resignation. Sorry, listeners, I can't get through an episode without mentioning the great resignation. Yeah. And, and, um, and, and this incredible war for talent. You know, so companies do need to go above and beyond to show that they they care and they're an employer of choice and all the rest of it. My fear is when things get a bit more uh, skewed towards employers again. It becomes it becomes an employer's market again. Jobs are, are, are harder to come by. Will they will they still be as empathetic? You know, will, will will they will they still invest as much 
in in employee well-being initiatives as they are doing at the moment i don't know the answer to that I, I hope the answer is yes i hope that we've learned lessons and we're all more compassionate we're, we're all more empathetic but for me that's a tbd mm, i think it's a really wise point i'm glad it's a great it's a good one i think when you start to see a movement built towards esgs and you know environment social and governance but boards are starting to ask around worker well-being when you look at the Russell 1000, look at the research that just recently come out to say organizations with high wellness indexes are outperforming other their ones would lower it by 4.7%, then I think businesses leaders are starting to actually, some are. And if I look at, you know, you look at the, the last, you know, 200 years of companies in the United States and you go back to the original Ben Franklin companies and you start thinking about the law of G about how the life cycle of businesses. One common denominator is the businesses like GE, for example, who years ago started to talk about leadership development, started to talk about evolution. You say what you want about that company, but they were one of the very first ones when Kerr, their CH, the person who created the whole chief learning officer role, really realized moving towards learning cultures. Amy Edmondson says the same thing, moving towards learning culture. I think the organizations that actually understand learning cultures means holding people accountable. It's not about everyone feeling happy all the time, but it's intentional about creating space for people to learn, grow, and thrive that's where you get the belonging value and purpose. And if we can move the concept that this whole idea about workplace mental health is not about a kumbaya and everyone jumping up and down, super happy all the time. It's about creating a place that's intentional for success to achieve a common purpose. It can be challenging because stress, you stress could be good for us. We need stress. Without stress, we're dead anyway. I mean, the reality is, we need some stress or we just lie around. You know, in other words, like my dog this morning, some stress got me up to take him out. You know, I needed to go do something for him because it moves me towards what I want to do. I, 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 I don't want to go down this hole too long, but I, I 100% agree with you. I just hope we can get enough evidence to get more employers to go the long roll. But I'm not naive enough to not believe that some are going to probably go back to, you know, we just need to get profit for today. And by the way, and again, I'm not the expert, but I reckon dogs are great for mental health. I recently got a puppy <laughs> called Dave. He's, 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 he's half beagle and he's, uh, he's, he's always hungry, um, but he, he makes me smile. You know? Yeah, so is my bulldog. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, Geez, I'm not surprised because when you and I get together, um, we, we do have these wonderful conversations and they go in different tangents, but we are almost out of time. Sure. Already, sir. Before we do wrap up, a couple more questions for you. Sure. Um, so you recently shared a post on LinkedIn and it really intrigued me and it was about uh, ghosting in the workplace. Maybe yeah. you could take, take a minute or two now and, and tell me about it and, and what the effects could be on, on employees. Yeah, I think ghosting concept, lots of people might think ghosting comes from the dating world where you, you know, you somebody you just kind of blow someone off, you don't respond back. And and it's starting to happen in the corporate world and business world. Basically, ghosting basically means is where someone does not respond in kind, whether it's an email, 
and they and so what happens is they just abruptly stop communicating or they fail to communicate and i and i think a part of it is is there's a political correctness is that you know i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to tell you no bill i'm not interested and so what happens though that can actually create can actually create a, a, a underlying level of incivility of rudeness. So, because of my, because rudeness is very subjective. So, for me, if, if you send an email to me and I respond, to me that's my frame. If you don't respond to me, that's rudeness. What creates collaborative, safe workplaces is is where you allow conflict to happen, like the Google Aristotle project. You know, you can't have people work through conflict to get a really psychological safe team. But where people actually don't have the conversation and the person who's getting ghosted starts to feel they're getting devalued and they feel they're rude, then what we're doing is we're hurting each other when we don't need to hurt each other. I mean, it, it doesn't take a whole lot just to say to somebody that tell the truth is usually a pretty good place. Hey, sir, I'm not, I don't have time for this right now. No, I'm not interested right now. Uh, I can't. Like no's not a bad word. And I think what we've done is this idea of positivity, toxicity. We're supposed to be polite all the time, cited. We don't want to let people down. In essence, I think it's creating a it's creating that challenge where we're becoming avoidant, passive aggressive. We're not we're not respecting each other. And all because many of us will say we're overwhelmed, we don't have time, we don't have this. But I, I think part of it is is it's just being interested in the other person's experience. That's what inclusion's about: is being interested in someone else's experience in that moment and being open to the possibility that your behavior may be impinging on their experience. And I think I think that doesn't have to be much more complicated than that. Bill, I am sad to tell you we are coming towards the end of this chat now. Before we do wrap up, how can our listeners connect with you? How can they learn more about all the cool things you're getting up to? Is that LinkedIn? Do you want to share your email address? Are you finally on TikTok because you're one of the cool kids? What are the best ways? Yeah, I'm not that cool. No, I think LinkedIn's a good (laughs) way to find me through LinkedIn. Another one has my my own personal website to connect through to my business, but it talks about all the my books and all the things I'm up to is it's uh, www.billhowitt.com. You can find me there. Uh, I can drop me an email through that site. If you're looking to chat or through that and um, look forward to hearing from some folks. Wonderful. Well, that just leaves me to say for today, Dr. Bill Howitt, this is the second time that you've been on this show and I'm sure I'll be hounding you soon uh, to, to do more. So please don't ghost me. Um, but for now, <laughs> sir, thank you very much for joining me on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Bill, keep up the great work you're doing. It matters a lot. Thank you for the time. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Chat Podcast. There are hundreds of conversations with business experts available for free on the HR Gazette website, Apple, Spotify, and all the main platforms. And remember to like, subscribe, and follow us on social media.